It's good to be here again tonight, and we honor the Lord for all that he's done with a wonderful time in worship and a wonderful time to see all of you here on a Monday night, and we just honor the Lord that we will continue in our journey. We've been talking about working together and working with others and how God uses everyone in the church to accomplish his purpose by working together. And so again tonight, I would like to draw your attention to uh, Colossians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading at verse number 10 and pick up a couple of other of uh, the people in this snapshot that Paul takes uh, that he has on his team that he works with and he is commending to the church at Colossae. It's good to see some of our pastors and leaders from around the area that were at our men's breakfast on uh, Saturday here with us, and we just honor you and honor you for being here. Amen in Jesus' name. And could you take your Bible, and could you put your finger in uh, Colossians 4, or your bookmark, or your digital instrument, wherever you may be pulling your scriptures from, and could you make this declaration of faith so that we could all walk in the same spirit of faith? Say this after me. This is, this is my Bible. Though there are many in the world, in the world. This, one this one is mine. I can be, I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He that comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Because I am a diligent seeker of God, my life will be better because I have heard the word of faith. Do you believe that? I right, let's make our lives better by hearing the word of God, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Colossians chapter 4, and uh, let's look in verse number 10. We begin our journey on Sunday morning in verse number 7. Let's go to verse number 10. We covered 7 and 8 Sunday morning, and we covered verse number 9 last night. So verse number 10, and let's cover verse number 10 and 11 tonight. It says, Articus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. The parenthetical statement in parentheses says about whom you receive instruction. If he comes to you, welcome him. And justice, who is called, or Jesus, who is called justice. These are the only few workers of the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Paul now, after he has talked about Tychicus in verse number uh, seven, that we have said is a man with a servant's heart. He's talked about Onesimus out of the book of Philemon in verse number nine, who is a man with a sinful past, now picks up and begins to talk about uh, Aristarchus, who is a fellow prisoner. Aristarchus is a man with a sympathetic heart, a sympathetic heart. And this becomes important because all of us that do the work of the Lord need some people that will work with us who have a compassionate heart. 
a heart that can feel our pain and can still walk with us and pull us through difficult situations. Aristarchus was a man that was a man that probably had a real gift of mercy. And a gift of mercy is one that will go along with people not only in their jars, in, in, in their joys, but also in their sorrows. A gift of mercy will help to pull people up from the times when they are going through difficult times. Paul describes Aristarchus as a fellow prisoner. And he says, and he sends greetings to you. That same passage, 11 and uh, 10 and 11 that we read in the New Living Translation says this, Aristarchus, who is in prison with me, sends his greetings, and so does Mark, Barnabas's cousin. New Living Translation goes on to say, as you were instructed before, make Mark welcome if he comes your way. Jesus, the one we call justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jewish believers among my co-workers. They are working with me here for the kingdom of God. And what a comfort they have been. Paul now mentions about three men that he says have been a real comfort to him. And the first one is this man, Aristarchus, who is a man with a sympathetic heart. He's called a fellow prisoner. And you know, Paul never considered himself a prisoner of the Jews when he was locked up by the Jews or prisoner of Rome when he was locked up by the Romans. Neither did he consider himself a prisoner of any other magistrate and or governmental official that ever locked him up. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1 always identified himself as the prisoner of the Lord. For Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling for which you are called. All of us who are in Christ at some point in time reach a level in our walk where we find out that we did not really find him, but he apprehended us. He violently seized us and he arrested us and he kind of took us and placed us where he wanted us in his kingdom. Philippians uh, 3 and verse number 12, Paul says, listen, I'm pressing to apprehend that for which I've been apprehended. He says, I'm pressing to lay hold of that which has laid hold on me. Paul didn't really believe that he had just elected himself to the call that he was in. He didn't choose to be an apostle. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, he was on his way doing his own thing to persecute the church. And on his way to the road of Damascus, a light shines knocks him off his animal. He is blinded. His whole agenda changes. He is led to a street called Straight. All of a sudden, a little man comes and ministers unto him. He receives his sight. And all of a sudden, he becomes a fiery evangelist. And then all of a sudden, an apostle sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Paul was a prisoner of the Lord. He felt like he was violently apprehended by the Lord. It's only when you come through the prison gate and that's one of the 12 gates of Nehemiah city it's the very last gate where you understand I'm a prisoner of
of the Lord. I've been apprehended by God. He has laid hold on me and there's a necessity upon me that God can really use you. And here he finds this man, Aristarchus, that he calls a fellow prisoner, a man that was totally committed to the Lord. Paul refers to him as such because he shared Paul's prison experience, both in the natural and I believe in heart, that he was close and he made Paul's lifestyle his own. And he speaks of his sympathetic, caring heart because whatever Paul went into, Aristarchus was willing to go. We meet this man, Aristarchus, in Acts chapter 19. And in Acts chapter 19, the gospel goes to a little city called Ephesus. When, this, when, when the gospel goes there, Paul goes into a meeting that he believes there are believers there in Acts chapter 19. And when they are there worshiping and he enters into the uh, worship experience, the worship seems to be kind of flat. It doesn't seem to enter into God's presence. And Paul raises a question, have y'all received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said, we have not heard whether there be any such thing as the Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them into what baptism were you baptized? And they said, under John's baptism, Paul said, ah, now I understand. He says in Acts 19, 4, he said, John truly baptized with the baptism unto repentance but he was saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him on, that is on Christ. He baptizes them in the name of the Lord, lays his hands on them. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. They begin to speak with tongues and prophesy and great miracles begin to be done in that city. For the city, there were all kind of curious arts and sorceries and things that were happening in the city. And by Acts 19, 19, the people bring out all of their strange books. They bring out all of those that practice magic and they burn the books in the city. When Paul continues in that city of Ephesus, he then feels like it's time for him to go to Macedonia. So, so he decides that he wants to go there and then he announces he's going to go to Rome and certain men in that area start hearing about this way that Paul is preaching in Acts 19.23. If you will, follow along in Acts 19.24 to meet this man, Aristarchus. It says, and a certain man named uh, Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines to Diana, brought no small profit for his craft, uh, to his craftsmen. And he called together all the workers uh, of the simulacre occupation. Men, you know that we have uh, our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear uh, that not only at Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia, that this Paul has persuaded and turned many people saying that there are no gods which we have, uh, which are made with hands, so that not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into dispute, but also the temple of this great goddess Diana may be in the de despised and her magnificence destroyed, who all of Asia and the world worship. And when they heard this, they were full of wrath. When you mess with people's religion, they get mad. It says, and they begin to say, great is Diana of Ephesus, so that the whole city was filled with confusion and rush into the theater 
with one accord, having seized Gaius and uh, Aristarchus, uh, the Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. You see, these guys were there and they preached such a gospel that everybody, even those who didn't believe, were starting to hear about this gospel. You see, when I read the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, folks just didn't love preachers back in those days. In fact, when they preached, folks got mad. Now, listen, when you and I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will cause conflict sometimes. And it makes me wonder sometimes what we're preaching. I remember I preached in Zimbabwe one time and the, and the, and, and the uh, national officials came and sent people to our hotel room. Dr. Cole was supposed to preach at luncheon and he told me, he said, listen, I'm a white man and I can preach to these brothers here today. And he said, these government officials, he said, but they don't need to hear a white man from America. He says, you're my traveling companion. I'm going to speak 15 minutes at the banquet. You take the rest of the half an hour of the 45 they gave me and you talk to them because you're a black man from America and I believe they can identify with you. When I talked to them, I talked to them about successful living and I talked about being successful in life and you have to address six major areas that you need to address your spirit, your soul, your body, your family life, your social life, and your economic life. And when I hit that thing, your spiritual life, not knowing who I was talking to, and I started telling them, talking about if you don't have God in your nation, your nation is doomed because righteousness exalts a nation. They got mad. And they went and pulled him out of his hotel room late that evening. And he said, well, he's upstairs in his hotel room. He's the one that preached it. He's of age. Go talk to him. People would get mad when you preach. And so they brought me down and asked me some questions. And they questioned even my theology. I went upstairs, got my notes. I said, there's a book called Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. I said, the definitions I gave are right in there. The numbers are in my notes. Take the notes and review it. The next day they came back to me to the meeting the next night. They said, we had a, re a chance to review everything you said. And next year when you come here, we want you to preach on television in all the schools throughout all the nation. I'll tell you what, the preaching of the gospel is confrontational. And here was this man, Aristarchus, a man with a sympathetic heart who was not willing to go, who was willing to go with Paul, even in the controversy, and even when great confusion and a riot broke out in the city, he and Gaius were there, and they were willing to even be jailed and fellow prisoners with uh, Paul, even in his distress. All of a sudden, we meet this man again, and Paul says, now, he says, I want you to know that he's still here with me. And friends, we need to have some friends in ministry that will stick with us through thick and thin. Right. Even when things are difficult, we need some folk in ministry that we work with like Aristarchus. Amen. That say, I'm not just here for the joys, but man, when you go through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil. Let's go through it together. Man, when we have to weep, we're going to cry together, but we're going to keep on making progress. Man, when we fight, we're going to have to fight together, but we're going to keep on making progress. When we preach, if they throw us out of a city, we're going to shake the dust off our feet, but we're going to keep on preaching. Man, when they talk about us bad, we're going to keep on preaching. I mean, we started our church. It was much like when this church started in this area. Back in 1982, we started our church. Folks said, well, well, well they're preaching heresy. You know, they always say, it's a cult. And then you ask people, well, What's a cult? I don't know, but I know that's one. 
Word of Faith guys, the guys with Fred Price and Kenneth Copeland and Kenneth Hagin and nothing but a cult. So first of all, they said, well, it, they said, well, 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 it's just not right. And then after a while, after we existed for a while, then they said, well, it, it, it won't last. So people would just say all kind of stuff. And I just praise God for those that God has brought around me like Aristarchus, people with a sympathetic heart, and say, we're going to walk with you. And even when times are difficult, we're going to be fellow prisoners with you. We're going to be in it together. If they talk about you, they're talking about me too. Now I got some folk around me that say, wait a minute, now that's my apostle. That's my pastor. And so you can't talk about him like that. And they'll rise up and they'll get in your face. You lean into them, they'll lean into you. <laughs> and I appreciate people with that sympathetic heart. I appreciate folks that will come alongside and will say, we're praying for you because we know that you're going through a difficult time. And Aristarchus did more than pray with Paul when they were seized together because of the preaching. He stayed faithful. He gave up his own freedom to minister to Paul in Paul's needs. And any leader would be enriched by fellowship with a guy like Aristarchus because he stood by his side in times of great trial. Every one of us needs to learn how to work with people that are not only faithful but loyal. Faithfulness is always to a task, but loyalty is faithfulness to a person to a group, or to a people. Faithfulness is to a task. And some people will get the job done, but they don't have loyalty to a person, to a people, or to a group. Loyalty is always personal. See, when I was a Boy Scout, we were taught that a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent, and loyalty is critical. Friends, we need to learn how to build some loyalty back in the church. Loyalty to one another. That even when we're going through trials, we're going to stick and stay. Because there's going to come a day in the near future as we come further into the last days that all we're going to have is one another. And loyalty to one another becomes critical. The Lord's work would not be done if we're not like people for like Aristarchus because Aristarchus was humble enough to bear hardship. And even though he was not the famous one on the team, he came along in supportive ministry. And I love people that will just be willing to work behind the scenes but be an encouragement to make sure things get done. Friends, all ministries experience difficult times. And we need some of these people with sympathetic hearts to come alongside of us and say, I'm a prisoner of the Lord with you. And man, if you go into prison, I'm going there with you. If you go down to the city council to speak out against an issue that is immoral or unethical or illegal, then I'm going to go down and I'm going to speak it out for you. And here is this man, Aristarchus, that Paul said is one of the only ones that is one of the circumcision that is with us. He then moves from Aristarchus, he says, who is a prisoner with me, a fellow prisoner, and he goes to Mark. Where Aristarchus is a man with a sympathetic heart, I call Mark a man with a surprising future. 
Mark is also called John Mark. He's identified as Barnabas' cousin. And he says, you've already received instruction about him, and if he comes, welcome him. Now, let me tell you about John Mark, because John Mark has a diff very different ministry kind of career than Aristarchus. In fact, they are really contrasted. Because John Mark was a man that in Acts chapter 13, it says in verse 13, Acts 13, 13, that when Paul and his party set sail for um, Paphos, that they came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. It seems like when Barnabas and Paul are released on this first missionary journey, Barnabas says, let's take my cousin. And he says, and let's take this man with us and he said, and he is going to go with us. So they take this young guy named John Mark. It is so difficult on that first missionary journey that finally when they get to their arrival in Pamphylia, John Mark says, this is too tough. I'm quitting. He goes back. Barnabas wanted to take him along on the second missionary journey when Paul says, let's go back and do it again. And so Barnabas says, okay, let's go get John Mark again. And Paul says, what? <laughs> he quit. We are not going to go get him again. And in Acts 15, 37, could you just turn there? Because sometimes when we read the book of Acts, we just thought everybody just loved each other. There never was any arguments, never was any fights, never were any disagreements. Because these guys were all spiritual and anointed. And sometimes we think, and when people are spiritual and anointed, there's just never any problem. Everything's just real smooth. And in Acts 15, verse 37, find it. 1537, it says, Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. And Paul insisted that they should not take, uh, take uh, with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another and Barnabas took Mark and they sailed to Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and they departed being commended by the brethren and to the grace of God. So they went into Syria and to Cilicia and they were strengthening the churches. Listen, these two leaders gotten a strong contention and it kind of broke up the team over this one guy, John Mark. John Mark was one of those who had quit and Paul was so, he was choleric, man. He was purposeful and powerful and you know, he was one of those that were saying, man, I want to get the job done. Barnabas, son of encouragement is what his name means. Listen, he was one that liked to encourage people and bring them into what they were supposed to be. In fact, Barnabas, when people didn't know what to do with Paul, when Paul was converted in Acts chapter 9, he went out preaching and the whole city was turned out in, into a, a riot. He preached so strong that everybody was in jeopardy. They said, get that guy out of here. And it was Barnabas that when he settles down in the church at Antioch, he says, let's go find Paul. And he brings him down to Antioch. And there he settles him down. And he begins to polish his gift a little bit. 
Barnabas was one that says, I know what to do with people that seem to be wowed, that seem to have had failure. And then there were those who didn't trust Paul. They said, this guy is like a fifth columnist. He's one of those that's trying to sneak into the church so he can persecute it from within. And Barnabas said, let's go get him and put him in the church in Antioch and see what he's really about. The same Barnabas, he takes his man, John Mark, and he takes him and he begins to minister to him. And Paul goes on his trip with Silas. They break up the team. And it led to a sharp, this man, John Mark, was the center of the conversation that led to a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas and separated them. But it's kind of interesting that by the time Paul writes the church at Colossae, there seems to be have, have been a change of mind concerning this man who had quit. Mark had become a changed man. Is there room for you to work with people that may quit and then one day they want to get back in? Is there room inside of your heart to deal with people that were quitters? But then somehow with the dealing of God and the dealing with people, they change and then they want to get back on the team. Do you hold people captive because of their past? Because many times when we have an unpleasant event with somebody, it's very easy to put them in a cocoon and put them in a place and say, that's the way they are and that's the way I see them. And we forget that the God that saved us redeemed us. It's very easy to marginalize people. It's very easy to put people in one little condition that happens. A further question to this text, when Paul commends and receives Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, how did Mark change his life around? Well, look at me in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13. 1 Peter 5, 13. Because church history tells us, and some of the writings tell us, that Paul, that Barnabas takes John Mark and introduces him to somebody. And in 1 Peter 5, the last chapter of 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse number 13, it says this. It says, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greet you. And so does Mark, my son. Mark, my son. It seems like Barnabas introduces John Mark to Peter. And Peter begins to minister to John Mark. You say, well, why are you belaboring that point? Because Barnabas says, John Mark, let me introduce you to somebody that didn't quit once, but quit three times. In fact, he didn't quit on Paul he quit on Jesus. And he didn't quit three times over a long period of time. He quit three times in one night. And
And he didn't quit three times because he was under pressure. He quit three times in the night when Jesus needed his friends the most. When Peter grabbed hold of Mark, he said, come on, son. I know what to do with quitters. Have you ever quit? Have you ever resigned? Have you ever maybe even mused with the thought, maybe I ought to try something else? I remember I got so mad one time at some people in our church. I said, I don't have to take this. Story is told about the woman that wakes up her husband in the morning and says, time to go to church. He said, I ain't going to church this morning. She said, why not? He said, I don't like that church anymore. I'm not going. He said, he said the piano player plays too loud. The choir never sings the songs I want to. And there's this, there's this mean deacon that sits on the front of the row. He never, he never agrees with the preacher. And he's always giving the preacher headaches. I ain't going to the church. And she said, well, you got to go. He said, give me one reason I ought to go. And she said, because you're the pastor. Have you ever had a bad day? <laughs> All of us that work with people occasionally have a bad day. And one night, Peter had a bad day. And I want you to know that God never wastes an opportunity to teach us. And sometimes he lets us walk through some experiences so that we can reach and grab hold of somebody else who's going to come through a similar experience and say, listen, I know that our God is a saving God. He is a redeeming God. He is a restoring God. And you walk through that experience. You're not the only one that's been through that experience. I've been through it too. And let me tell you, God can bring you through. He can bring you through failure. He can bring you through quitting. He can bring you through divorce. He can bring you through any trouble. He is a God that is a God of redemption. Here's a man with a surprising future. Because though he had quit, he caused the division on the team. Here comes this John Mark. Paul says, I'm hoping to send him to you. He said, because you've received instruction about him. And when he comes to you, receive him. He had been restored. He was youthful, probably through the ministry of Peter because Peter himself had been acquainted with failure. I know that God forgives our failure. He buries it. He doesn't bring it up anymore. But every now and then I've seen the Holy Spirit when I have been walking with people who've gone through failure. And he said, take your own experiences and share it with this one. I've had people open up their mouth and drop their jaw and say, not you. And I said, I can't say that I know what you feel because we never know what somebody else is feeling in their failure when they've quit. But I said, but I can identify with you. And I can say, let me share with you where I've come from. I said, because I've not always been a saint of God. I don't sit around, I don't sit around shining my halo. <sighs> I said, I'm a man that has some scars. I'm a man that's been through some tests. I'm a man that's, if, that has quit before. 
And I said, and yet God wouldn't let me quit. One day a prophet named Jeremiah determined I'm not going to quit. Well, God gave him a tough assignment anyways. I want you to go to people that won't hear you. They're going to be stiff neck. He said, they're going to drive you out of town, lower you down in a pit and persecute you. But don't look at their faces, just preach anyway. <laughs> Jeremiah determined, I'm not going to say nothing to them people anymore. And he said, and I tried to shut my mouth. But he said, but his word was found like a fire shut up in my bones. See, preachers know if you try to shut your mouth, that fire that's supposed to be for the people will burn you up. Eventually, you'll be, you'll be like this. And somebody say, he's going to blow. He's going to blow. He's going to blow. <laughs> and it's got to get out. It's got to get out. And God put us back in the race. You say, how great is God's redemption? Look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me show you what Paul thinks about John Mark, this man with a surprising future. 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is Paul's last letter. People that are on the team, we've looked at a man with a servant's heart and a sinful past and also a sympathetic heart, but now with a man with a surprising future. And here when Paul comes down to the last of, uh, of his uh, ministry, Paul is there and he is coming down to the last of his ministry and, uh, and he says this uh, in, uh, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and uh, if you can find verse number 11, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 11. He says, uh, only Luke is with me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for the ministry. Tacitus, I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. And when you come, the books, especially the parchment. Here Paul is instructing his man Timothy who is about to come to him. He says, Luke is with me. Everybody say, there. Everybody say, some people are still here. And as a church, don't ever forget that some people are still here. And then he says, and bring Mark. Somebody, everybody say, some, some more are coming. And remember that some more are coming. We'll talk about demons tomorrow night because he left. And there's always some have left, some are here, and some are coming. It's the cycle of the church. You say, well, I just think everybody ought to just stay. No, even when you read the Bible, Demas left. Verse number 10, we'll talk about him later because he's in his list too. <laughs> Demas left, but then Luke is here, and then he said, and bring John Mark, they're coming. So never forget as a church, some are here, some left, but remember this, some are coming. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, we're all right. <laughs> because every now and then when a few folks leave, everybody says, oh, God, has the glory departed? No, some people just left. <laughs> but some are still here. And some are still coming. And if you can remember the cycle of the church as explained in the word, you and I don't have to get depressed. And friends, he says, bring John Mark. He's profitable to me. There may be some sometime that are unprofitable, like 
as we talked about last night, Onesimus. For in Philemon, it says at one time he departed as unprofitable, but now he is profitable. And I've discovered that there are some people that leave and then they get changed and transformed. And when they come back, our slogan is that Rama Christian Center is like no other place on the earth. And sometimes I've had people get in a huff and leave. Just get mad at everybody. And after they've been out there for a while, I, I say, mm -hmm. I need these glasses to read, but this, this right eye, I can see way back in. <laughs> uh, that, one, that one's sharp right there, yeah. <laughs> so if y'all ever see me doing this, that's what's happening, okay? <laughs> and I see them come in, and they're way back here, and then all of a sudden up here, and then they come and want to reconnect to the church, and they say, how do you feel about me reconnecting to the church? And I said, I feel fine about that. I say, set an appointment. One of the questions I ask people when they want to reconnect to our church, I say, what's changed? And they say, you know how you always say Rama Christian Center is like no other place on the earth? They said, I discovered that. <laughs> this place is like no other place on the earth. And don't you ever minimize what's happening here at Faith Christian Center. Because it's not like this every place. There's not a lot of places where 30 different nationalities can worship, where you have freedom to worship, where you get the word, where people are learning to work together. Never minimize what God has done and is doing and will do in this place. Some have gone, some are here, some are coming. And he says, bring John Mark, for he's profitably for the gospel. Paul tells Timothy, Pick up John Mark and bring him with you when he comes. He's useful for service. And Paul told the church at Colossians that if John Mark comes to them, he says to obey him in his instructions, welcome him, and don't shun him because of his previous failure. His life was a testimony of God's ability to use failures. Man, do you know when you read through the Bible that there's not anybody other than Jesus that didn't have some interruption and some failure in their walk. I look at Father Abraham. Father Abraham, man, he goes into a foreign land. <laughs> it's funny. He thinks they're going to come out and get him because his wife is beautiful. He says, don't call me your husband. Call me your brother, your Lord, okay? And so she does that. His son watches that mess. So when his son comes back to the same place, his son does that to his wife, Rebecca. So, so now you got lion in the family. And then, then Jacob is born and his mother and the son get together and lie to the father to get the birthright. Then lions all through the family. Then Jacob has sons and his favorite is Joseph. And all of a sudden the sons sell Joseph off to slavery, put blood on his coat and lie to their daddy. Liar, liar, pants on fire. They're lying, 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 lying. And yet these are, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what that tells us... <laughs> I don't care what you do, God is bigger than it. God, who is Lord, can conquer anything in our life. He can conquer our failure. He can conquer our lies. He can conquer our immorality. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he still uses us in spite of it all. Aren't you glad about it? And he says, Aristarchus 
and John Mark. And then he mentions finally this man that he says whose name is Justice. Who's also, his name is Jesus, who is also called Justice. He said, these are the only fellow workers of the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved their comfort to me. Let's talk about this third man tonight for our third point, Jesus. Jesus is a Greek word form of Joshua. The word Yahshua is the Hebrew word. In our city, I don't know if they're up here or not, there's a lot of uh, black men who have formed uh, what they call the Hebrew Israelites. And they believe that they are the lost tribes of Israel that when went into Babylonian and Assyrian captivity and, you know, 10 tribes just kind of disappeared. And then Judah went into Babylonian captivity, made it through Persian captivity. And a major tribe that came out of Persian captivity uh, was, was, was the uh, Jews or the tribe of Judah. So then they just adopted the name the Jews. And it seems like Israel became the nation, but the 10 tribes seem to have disappeared. And there's some guys that called themselves uh, you know, uh, Hebrew Israelites and they're black guys and they are all into the sacred name in our city. And they say, why do you call him Jesus? His name is Yahshua. And I said, I could write Yahshua up on a board in Hebrew and you wouldn't know what it is. <laughs> I said, we speak English, <laughs> not Hebrew. And I said, I'm not going to argue the point because when I tell the devil to come out of somebody in the name of Jesus, he comes out. I said, so I'm not going to argue that point. I'm not going to be out here swinging at gnats. But the name, Jesus was a very common name. It's a very common Greek name. It's Joshua in Hebrew, Yahshua. Common name, Jesus in a Greek and its Latin form, surname is Justice. He was this man that was called Justice, or Jesus also called Justice. And he was a rare fellow worker of the circumcision. You see, it seems like when we read the scripture that Paul was one of those that it seemed like God gave him the assignment to the Gentiles. And it seemed like Peter was given the circumcision. And there were just a few folks of the circumcision that seemed to follow along with Paul as he went on his missionary journeys and as he did the work. But as Paul begins to do this work, he's, he found himself in peril of his own countrymen. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 26, he says, in journey often in perils and in waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty six. In perils of the Gentiles, in perils of cities, in perils of the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils among the brethren, in weariness and in toil, in sleepiness. He says, often in hunger and in thirst and in fasting, often in cold and nakedness. And besides, the other things which come upon me daily, he says, the deep concern of all the churches. Paul said, I was in peril of my own countrymen. And friends, it seems like here's this, these three. This one named Aristarchus, this one named Mark, this one called Justice, who's also called Jesus. Here comes this one who joins himself to Jesus. He's just called a faithful believer who served God. And it seems like he's not known in the world and doesn't have worldwide renown. I call this man just a silent servant. 
We've looked at a man with a servant's heart. We've looked at a man with a sinful past. We've also been able to look at a man with a sympathetic heart and John Mark with a surprising future. But as we close tonight, do you have room to work with people that are just people that are silent servants? People who work not to be seen, but just work behind the scenes. Folks that are, don't really care that you would bring them up on the platform and put a microphone in their mouth. It's not important to them that just because they baked the finest cake at the reception that you give them accolades. They just like to sit in the corner and watch everybody eat their cake up and ask the question, ooh, who made this cake? You see, Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 6, 35, to understand this man called Jesus, also called Justice. And I think that this becomes a good closing point for all of us in Matthew chapter 6. And when we look in verse number 35, in Matthew 6, 35, we find uh, this uh, word written. There is no 635, 63 through 5. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Uh, three. Uh, three through 5. Okay. Not 35. 3 through 5. I, I checked it out with my good eye the second time. Okay. <laughs> Matthew 6, 3 through 5. Okay. Didn't see that dash with my bad eye. Okay. Here it goes. Now watch this. <laughs> it says, now when you do your charitable deeds, do not let your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. It says, but your charitable deeds might be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. When you pray, shall not be like the, hit, like the hypocrites. For they love to stand praising in the synagogue, praying in the synagogue and on the corners of the street that they may be seen of men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. Look with me in Matthew 23 and verse 5 because Jesus comes back. And uh, in this one, Matthew 23, again, Jesus is being confronted by all of these leaders and Jesus begins to talk to these leaders about their own works face to face. And in Matthew 23, verse 5, 23, 5 now, he says, but all their works they do to be seen of men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. It says they love the best places at the feast. And it says, and the best seats in the synagogues and setting in the marketplace to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi, but you shall not be called rabbi for one is your teacher Christ you are all brethren not call any man on earth your father it says for one is your father he who is in heaven Do not be called teacher for one is your teacher Christ he says for he who is greatest among you shall be your servant what he's talking about contextually there's no sin in honoring your father and mother but he says when somebody just wants to be called father out there in public and somebody just wants to be called teacher and rabbi just to be seen of men and to have notoriety, he says, man, they have their reward already. But then you have a few folks like this man, Jesus, who's called Justice, who just likes to come alongside. And Paul said, he's just a fellow worker. He's a person that's a comfort to me. He worked with Paul, comforted Paul, encouraged Paul. And his greatest desire was just to help to get the task done. 
I honor the Lord for people in every church who don't care about notoriety, fame, recognition. They just want to get the job done. And do you have room on your team for people that may not have the anointing? <laughs> and I'm not being sarcastic because as everybody there's always this sense that I want anointed people on my team. But what about people like Jesus called justice? They say, man, can I just come and help? You see, every one of us needs some people that just like to work behind the scenes. Sometimes people ask me, how did you become who you are in Christ? I said, let me tell you how we did that. Myself and a friend of mine named Bill Dotson at Union Grove Baptist Church. He's now my director of community affairs. He's one of our elders in our church. And when we were at Union Grove Baptist Church, we just came to serve. Whenever a big event would come on, in our church, in the Baptist Church, we had lots of eating affairs. And, and, and you know how we got anointed? These eating affairs, we had these round tables that everyone set out. So I said, Reverend Hell, how can we help you? He said, well, there's going to be a banquet tonight. So here's the way we got anointed. We'd roll the tables out. Set chairs around the table, watch everybody eat at the banquet at the, uh, and enjoy themselves. The kitchen help with gather up the, uh, the tablecloths, gather up all of the trash. Everybody go home. Teresa and Judy would be sitting around talking. We put all the chairs back away and roll the tables back in the closet. I'm called to preach. I said, God, anoint me. Reverend Hill said, Lafayette, we're having a banquet. Roll the tables out. <laughs> Set the chairs up around them. Watch everybody eat. They take away everything. Teresa and Judy, Bill's wife, would sit around talking. We put all the chairs back up and roll the tables back in the closet. God, I'm looking for the anointing. Roll the tables out. <laughs> Set the chairs up around them. Watch everybody eat. They take away everything. Teresa and Judy sitting around talking. Put the chairs back up. Roll the tables back in. But God, I got the Holy Ghost down. I'm a blah, 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 blah. I'm out there spraying and then the Holy Ghost and really getting it on, trying to get the anointing. Roll the tables out. Set all the chairs around them. Watch everybody eat. When they get finished, stack up the chairs. Roll the tables back in. And the people at the church, they just thought that somehow somebody just waved their hands and somebody rolled all the tables out, set the chairs up around them, and they never knew who did all of that. Till we started our church. And we were in another location. And then banquet time came. And they asked the question, who's going to roll the tables out and set up the chairs? And friends, there need to be some folk in the church. That your assignment might be, help me. Set up the chairs, watch everybody eat, let them put up the stuff, stack up the chairs, and 
is there some room on your team for some silent servants like Jesus called justice? Folk that just work behind the scene. Paul said Aristarchus, Mark, Jesus also called justice. He said, these are only brethren of the circumcision, fellow workers of the kingdom of God. He said, it's been a comfort to me. Sometimes it's not the people with the great names. People with the biggest headlines, greatest personalities, charismatic personalities, and even folks that we would say were most anointed. Because it takes great anointing to roll those tables. When nobody sees you, when everybody's gone, when nobody's around to pat you on the back, when you look at the program and everybody else's name is there, but they don't have the table roller's name on the program. <laughs> it takes great anointing to sit there and die to yourself and the need to the, of the applause of man, but knowing that God sees and God recognizes. And one day he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. Come on in and enjoy the joys of the kingdom and I'll make you ruler over much. Pastor Ray, you can come. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for us tonight because we're talking about working with others out of this list. Got a few more names on the list and a few more nights. And I want to pray for us today because some of you are men and women that are sympathetic ser servants. You just have been here through thick and thin in joys and in sorrows, and I appreciate you. Some of you are people that are here like John Mark. You've had some failure in your past, or maybe you just quit one time, but now you're back and you're wondering, wonder how people are looking at me, wonder how people feel about me. Bring John Mark. You're profitable to us for the gospel. You're going to help us advance us to the next level. And then there are some of you who are just like Jesus called justice. You're just people that say, man, I'm just glad to be on the team. If all you need me to do is put the chairs around the table, I'm willing to do that. Man, it's in those silent places where we're there and we learn how to do cheerful service. It's in those quiet places where we learn not to always be number one. We just learn how sometimes to do manual tasks that we think has nothing to do with spirituality, that God shapes our character. You know, it's in those places that we learn that all service has merit. All service has works. And in our kingdom, everyone can be great because everyone can be a servant. Never minimize and think that you're not adding something to Faith Christian Center because you're doing, oh man, all I do is mop up the floor after water baptism. Man, you don't know what service that is. I have some people at our church and all they do is prepare the communion elements when we do communion. That's a joy to me. And I come by and I say, I want to thank you guys for being here, for making sure our trays are prepared and preparing the elements for us every time we say communion. I have a group of women that, that they work with our baptismal committee and they make sure that the garments are ready and make sure that everybody has the towels and everything that they need so that when we do water baptism, everything's in place. And I come by and I tell them, thank you. I said, I know that you don't think this is much, but I know that when I see you here on Saturday night and Sunday morning when we do water baptism, that that's going to be cared for. 
I like to walk through our ministry every now and then through our nursery and through our children's ministry and just touch kids. It's when I come in there, they say, Apostle's here, Apostle's here. It's like Santa Claus just walked in the room. <laughs> and they're hanging on my legs. And as I'm touching kids and blessing kids, I look at those teachers and I say, thank you, because I know that you would like to be in church with your peers and with some of your folks. And I said, I know you only get to come to service sometime once or twice a month. Our staff is stretched out that way now. And I know, and I know that sometime you're here, you know, uh, six weeks on or two months on and then two months off. And, and I said, but I want to appreciate what you do from the nursery all the way up to our teenage ministry. Listen to me. A word of appreciation goes out to you who are those silent servants because we couldn't do it without you. Some of you are in charge of things like building maintenance, that you are the one that shoveled the snow off the walk. And somebody might not think that you're very spiritual, but when I was watching the Weather Channel this weekend, you needed that person out there, didn't you? This past winter, when it dumps 12 inches of snow and somebody shovels that walk and spreads the, the salt melt down there, you know, or the snow melt down there. Those are people that do silent things. Somebody that's just willing to go down the hallway and though they may not be a building maintenance person when they see paper and trash and sometimes a little mess or maybe a toilet that's overflowing or a seat that maybe that they just set their hand to task to do those silent servants. I want you to know that you're needed, you're necessary and God sets you in the body for this. And even when there's not man's recognition, God sees. I want you to know that we need you on this team. And we love working with you. We love working with you because we cannot do what we do without some folks like Aristarchus, like Mark, and like Jesus called justice on our team. Let's pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bring this fine church before you. And Father, there are notable ones in this church. Father, those that have highly visible ministries, some play instruments, some sing, and they're seen by people. Some preach and minister in classes and in institutes. Some operate electronic equipment, and some are on staff. Father, there are many that are here in other visible ministries like children's ministries and schools and youth ministries. And Father... Today we bring before you, Father, those sympathetic servants that have been with us through thick and thin, through ups and downs, through accusations and allegations, and they've been with us through times of joy and times of sorrow. And Father, I pause tonight just to say thank you. Thank you for these sympathetic servants. Thank you for people like Mark, Father, that maybe didn't understand and they quit because it was too hard and then they came back and they reconnected. And Father, I want to thank you for Mark. And I say, bring us some more Marks home because they're profitable to us for the gospel. And finally, Father, I want to thank you for some people like Jesus called justice. Those silent servants who do their work not to be seen of men, but their motivation is to be seen by you and approved by you. Father, Paul said, these have been a real comfort to me and a real encouragement to me. And I pray that a servant's heart might be also in everyone that is highly visible, that we never get into performance for the applause of men, but we always are looking for the approval of God. Oh God, to be a servant is the highest place in your kingdom. And that's where we want to always dwell in that highest place. Now make alive this word in our hearts. And teach us your ways, O oh Lord, so that we can walk in your truth. 
and give us that understanding heart so that we can follow you. We thank you for this time. Praise you for this hour that we're in right now. Teach us to serve one another, to serve the world that you've sent us into. And Father, it's our greatest delight to serve you with gladness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.